in case someone has just walked in, I'm Nanaba Duncan. I'm the host of Fresh Air on CBC Radio 1. It airs every Saturday and Sunday from 6 to 9 a.m. to all of Ontario. And I'm here with Di Diaspora Dialogues today because they've got a project where they have given, um, they have invited Toronto residents to talk about different parts of the city and then uh, writers, or they have these creators who have also taken those pieces and made some creations out of that. And right now we're going to talk to two writers uh, who, um, and then after that, uh, the, the writers are going to read their pieces, and after that, we'll have some conversation. So first, Jason Magnoy uh, has been a playwright in residence at Fujian Theatre, Theatre Fast Marai, and Young People's Theatre. He's also been a member of the Tarragon Playwrights Unit, the Banff Playwrights Colony, and the 2017 Stratford Playwrights Retreat. Um, his plays have been taught at McGill University, Humber College, the National Theatre School of Canada, and Smith College. He's a graduate of the National Theatre School of Canada and was a finalist for the Lila Atchison Wallace uh, American Playwriting Fellowship at Juilliard, and he was a 2017 finalist for the K.M. Hunter Artist Award, which is presented to emerging artists who are making a mark in their field. Thank you for being here. So clearly I'm a playwright. Yes. <laughs> um, I was practicing that one. <laughs> and uh, you're right, I did call you a writer before. Thank you for that correction. Um, Phoebe Wang is a writer and educator based in Toronto uh, and a first-generation Chinese-Canadian. She's the author of two chapbooks and her debut collection of poetry, Admission Requirements. Uh, it was short shortlisted for the Gerald Lambert Memorial Award, the Pat Lowther Memorial Award, and nominated for the Trillium Book Award. Um, her work has been included in the Unpublished City, shortlisted for a Toronto Book Award, and she co-edited the Unpublished City Volume 2, The Lived City. Right now she works with the organization Poetry in Voice and as a writing and learning consultant for ELL students at OCAD-U. And um, you can also find her at, find her work at alittleprint.com. So uh, Phoebe, we would like to start with you if you could read your piece. Right. Would you like me to go up there? Wherever you like. Oh, can I stay seated? There? Absolutely. All right, and that podium, um, I don't really like podiums. And you have to, I don't like hiding behind things. And this chair is comfortable. All right, so this uh, piece, which is based on Harriet Kim's Homeward Bound, um, I, I don't know what to call it. I think there were like little notes uh, to herself, and it's like the last um, uh, piece that's in the, the program. And so um, my piece is called Landscape Bound by Two Tributaries and a Glacial Lake. What's the joke that unifies us, that keeps our commutes honest? Your notes rolled away like pop cans under the seat, like the front wheel of my bike when I hit a tree root and sprawled beneath shade. By 29, I'd mastered the art of leaving. You still in bed, my 6.30 a.m. shift, making so many panini an hour, so many frittatas. I'd scrub my daydreams clean of coffee grounds. You could work yourself into a state of panic while daylight made increasing demands through the blinds. Meet me at Queen of Sheba's near Dufferin before she shudders. $26 left in my bank account, enough for black beans, tortillas, limes, a six-pack, enough for a rain cloud, enough for tumbling on the roof with a beach mat. I count tips with wet hands, kill my knees restocking the fridge with Perrier 
and conversations at Ezra's on DuPont about how September's galloping away, pulling memory's caravan. Sandra, what's the deal with the threads you tied around us, the warm looms that outgrew your temporary arrangements? I wonder about how you're filling your rooms in a less trodden city. 504, please call control. On King Street, I become one with the rush of accents, the annual migration of students smacking into a storm of glass, swelling the lineups at Timmy's and the stuttering streetcars. I make a resolution that there's only so many days that can be divided into lesson plans, only so many Abdullahs and Sayokos and Lorenzos I can coax out of their damp winter coats before overwhelming them with could-haves, will-have-beens, passive modals of being elsewhere. 24 hours later and the geese have suited up, the tree swallows swarming early to avoid backups on the expressway, McCowan, Kennedy, Victoria Park is where we could have invested, a starting location for a default view of the Don Valley where former beds are buried. I've come back for them through the unremarkable ravines, yellow with beech and light scanning the underbrush for questionable claims. The day's uniform are black 501s, silk blouses. I'm literally becoming my mother, wearing her breezy attitudes like oversized scarves. I recognize the wealth of opportunities the clouds afford me and not her. The rain passes through us on the way to the lake, takes underground roots, where bodies filter out grief sediment, the mineral trace of generations. Someone's ancestors lay down under the overpass, while the old Chinese men played chess on Gerard, and the 506 streetcar warned it was shortchanging us. I made specific decisions, opened the window, rested comfortably on how far I've come. Whether it's enough to meet basic needs, chicken stock for immunity, early nights now that we don't go dancing at Sneaky D's and roll out for brunch at aunties and uncles at Lippincott. We fill empty corners with a new philodendron until it's summer again. But I resist romanticizing cold coffee on the porch, waiting for the mailman to bring news of a distant triumph. There are folks who need more help than an upgrade program, for whom lean times are a frenzied ride through 3 a.m. streets, no way to stop on request. The seasons blur and run. I glimpse an elusive address, and before dusk's quick turnover, I calculate the moments I'm still in debt for against the landscape's willingness to extend credit, and neither the storm-worn trees nor the grocery carts are reassured I'll stay and do what it takes to make it home. But there is a kind of, there is something, and it is all of those who came before us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Phoebe, when you're ready. Great. <clears throat> um, my piece is based on Humber Shelter, um, which is a really beautiful um, nature, nature poem. Um, and I wrote a scene, it's called Meeting. I'm gonna play both roles, so hopefully my acting will be good enough that you can recognize who's speaking. <laughs> Night. Allison, 16, sits alone in a park. She is sipping on a bottle of beer. James, 15, enters and sees her. He is holding a small balloon. They look at each other. 
I'm sorry. What are you sorry about? I just, it's a free country. You can sit here if you want. I don't, I don't want to bother you. Do I look bothered? I like your balloon. I must look strange holding it. You look like a boy holding a balloon. What brings you to my house? This is your house? Might as well be. I, I come here a lot. What's so great about this place? The sky? What about it? When you lie on the grass and stare at it, you can see a thousand different universes. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And you're different in each one, a different person. Special, almost. What's the best version of you look like? In the sky? Yeah. I just have longer hair. I, st I stole this. Were you dying to tell me that? I, I, I don't know. Just felt like I had to. Where did you steal it from? Loblaws? You're bad. I just... Stealing it made me feel better. You're running away from something? I'm always running. Home, if you can call it that. My mom was with some new guy again. That's the worst, so I walked away. Walked to a Loblaws to steal. I, I stole a candy bar, too. Now you're an outlaw, and here I am. Here you are, right here with me. I'm an outlaw, too. I run away a lot. Also, I come here, but I always go back to my house. And what's that like? It's like nothing. I just walk in the house, and the lights are always off. So I just sit in the living room, in the dark, sit and wait for the sun to come back up. When it does, he comes down the stairs and looks at me and doesn't say anything. He just asks me if I want some juice. I always say yes. Do you smoke? No. You're an outlaw. You should. I, I can't. Want to lie beside me? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Do I, do I make you shy? No, I, I don't bite. I know, but... I don't know you. We kind of know everything about each other. Come on. Let's see if we can find our other selves up there. They lie in the grass and stare at the sky. I can hear your heart. You can? It's beating really fast. They look at each other. That's why I love this place. There's nothing quite like the music your heart makes. Let go. What? Let it go. Which universe do you think it'll fly to? He smiles and lets go of the balloon. They watch it float away. My name is James. Allison. Well, James, this is your home now, too. She looks at him. It popped. Black. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Uh, Jason, I'll start with you. Uh, tell me about the, the actual inspiration in terms of the place. Yeah. Uh, so when I, when I first got the poem, it was, it, was a, it was a nature poem. And I was trying to sort of figure out what was happening here. And there, was, there were a lot of references to it being a home away from home, uh, it being sort of this place that you can go and you were being safe. Um, but then I couldn't quite visualize it, so then I, I asked, and they said shelter is a place of home, and then they sent me a photo 
And then I saw the photo and it looked, I was like, oh my gosh, that's really, oh, okay. What did so the photo look like? It was just like, it was like almost like the sky and trees. And, um, and then one of the things that I thought about that really sort of got, got it going for me was this idea of, you know, what is it like when you are sort of, you have a place that you go to, right? And so it's like, you know, when I was younger and I was in kindergarten, I was like, what was my place when I was in kindergarten? Well, there was a concrete cylinder that was in the, in the playground that I sat inside. So there are these places that you go that are your place. And then in this case, these two characters who are running away from something meet here, and it's like they're alone. You can see they're alone a lot of the time. And when they find each other, it's like there's an instant connection. And then now they're in this place and they're making it a home for themselves and for each other because they have this relationship which is really just, uh, it's, a, it's an instant connection because of what they need from each other at that moment. Mm. Why did you choose those ages, 16 and 15? It's because it's sort of like, there's something really about, uh, for me, it was this thing of even seeing the way they, were, they speak to each other, there's almost like a, especially when you meet someone and you, you're, you're, you access them right away, they're trying to access each other. And it's harder for them because they're also trying to access who they are themselves. So there's a lot of like just trying to figure things out. But then, because of the fact that they're so young, they still move forward. They still actually end up saying things to each other, lying beside each other, looking at the sky, having a ritual together. Um, and there was something about the, their youth that I found really sort of um, um, nice about mm. that encounter, yeah. It seems like one was stronger than the other. I think one is used to running away. I think one is like the woman who, the young girl who's there all the time is just there. That's where she is. She, she goes there over, it's my home away from home. I go there, I feel safe here, and I have this ritual where I run away from home every week and I go home and then I'm gonna run away again next week. The boy is literally trying to figure out where he can go. He doesn't know where to go when he runs away. He goes to the store to steal. He goes to the park with a balloon. He sees her. So there's something about, okay, this could be the beginning of them meeting there. Mm. And I think that is something that's really interesting for them. He, when she invites him to smoke, he doesn't say, I don't want to. He says that he can't. Yeah. Why does he say that? I think that even looking at, there's something about, in terms of what he's sort of, the boundaries he's placing on himself. It's just really interesting how he says he can't smoke because there's a boundary placed on him, yet he stole a chocolate bar and a Right, we don't know balloon. what that boundary is, but yeah. it sounds like there's something maybe in his yeah. life. And then, and, then, and then you sort of see what he's running away from. It's almost like he's with this person who's in his home who is redefining boundaries just in terms of what's acceptable in that place. So he's just really trying to figure it out and him not accepting the cigarette probably is like, okay, I'm good. I, I did something, you know, I didn't, st that's, that's me not being an outlaw and that's okay and I'll, I'll take that for this particular second. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a real tenderness there that I, re I appreciate it, yeah. so thank you. Uh, Phoebe, uh, there's something that struck me in, in your piece, the Black 501s and the, and the blouse. Mm -hmm. um, I'm literally becoming my mother. And I actually heard, I think that resonated with a bunch, of, a number of people here. It just sort of, it, you know, for a lot of people, it's a fear. Yeah. Um, maybe for some others, it would be an honor to become your mother. Uh, did that come from you? Did that come from inside? Um, uh, yes, yeah. Uh, I think the fear and the sense of it being honored are not incompatible as well. 
So you, you, you kind of stop yourself and say, oh my God, I'm becoming my mother. Oh my God, I'm becoming my mother. Yes. You know, and it's a kind of like, you know, that's the first woman that I think uh, a young girl models herself over. And my mom's very fashionable. Um, <laughs> so she has this uniform. She always has black jeans and in the, in the blouse. And she gives me a lot of her clothing. So that I, I literally feel like I'm becoming her because I'm wearing her clothing. Um, but then also sometimes her gestures as well. Um, yeah, I, I read a lot about my mother. I have like a whole series of, of poems about her. So I think when you're given um, not a lot of time to write something new, kind of like repetitive or like for me, definitely repetitive, but uh, maybe for other people, they're more like echoes of things yeah. that you're mm -hmm. working on and other things kind of creep into mm -hmm. what you currently work on. Did that happen with you too, Jason? Yeah. yeah. It's sort of like, in the end, it's, this, it's that really cool feeling when uh, you get something and it kind of nudges you and then it kind of nudges you into all those things that are your obsessions. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm obsessed with strangers meeting mm. all the time. In my so you must love this. I, yeah, I just, I, I, yeah, I love that. I just, I love, I love that idea, and I love the idea of people who are, they seem to be sort of a little bit broken, and then they try to figure out ways through each other to be more whole, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that, and that, and you find that it nudges you, then you're right. You go right into your echoes. You go into these things that you're really obsessed about, and then you can you can sort of Strangers keep going. also really interest me, but not in the sense of the meeting. I am interested in how their stories layer over a place. Mm. So even though they never meet, um, the fact that everyone in Toronto has at some point usually taken the 501 streetcar, that 501 route now becomes a meeting place for those stories that kind of layer over time. And that's really how I think of uh, indigenous stories in Toronto, that there is a surface or there is a layer or there is a, a deep undercurrent of that story that we are now occupying. Mm. So I, that's like how do, you, how do you encounter a stranger um, who you have no other connection with is something that's really interesting to me too. Mm. Phoebe, what was special about the piece that you chose? Uh, a lot of things was really special. First, uh, the topic of transit. Um, the Harriet, her point of view, uh, the fact that she is making notes in the city, um, that's something I do a lot, something I did a lot when I first started writing, so I could really connect with um, transitness as a state of being. So, you know, if particular if you're first generation or if you're newcomer to Canada, you are literally in transit. So you're watching the city around you, you're watching this, the transit routes around you, but you yourself and your life is still um, kind of not quite formed. Another thing in terms of the diction of her piece was very open. So she had a lot of nouns and like kind of vocabulary that could be used in different ways. Things like ancestors, our, uh, grief, window. And um, so it made me think this is something I could write some, something on top of because her vocabulary is still, um, and then the street names as well is still, uh, you can build a lot of associations on it, and you can uh, remix it, basically. Mm. Yeah. There, I, I'm looking at her piece now, and she names a number of the buses and the routes. 29 Dufferin mm -hmm. northbound, 26 DuPont mm -hmm. westbound, 504 King westbound, 24 Victoria Park northbound, 506 College, 501 westbound. Mm -hmm. Did any of those actually resonate with you more than the others? Oh, uh, I don't know. Um, that's like choosing you know, your favorite kid. You know, because okay, I don't yeah, want to make yeah, you choose your like, favorite you know, kid. If you spend a long time in Toronto, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of you have as well, uh, I've lived in Toronto for almost over 10 years, and that, um, again, the layer, you meet yourself in the city. 
um, like you have different jobs and uh, different apartments, um, and then and you go so certain routes will take on that that time in your life. So it's a little bit hard sometimes to take some of these routes because they remind you of a time that you used to go to that particular place. Is but, that what you mean yeah. when you say you meet yourself? Yeah, for example, like I used to teach, I used to work, um, uh, I used to have, a, and then that came in a poem. I used to have a friend that lived on on Dupont and Spadina, so it kind of that take that bus and Ezra's pound we meet there a lot. Uh, and now she's moved away, so I wonder. I think about where she's at in her life. I used to teach ESL at King near King's Station, so I, every time I'm around that area, I, I look around to see if those students are still, um, uh, you know, lining up at Timmy's and be, before their break. So I think you get those certain, you know, certain. I think parts of the city just tug at you, and you're like, oh right, I used to, be, I used to come here all the time, mm -hmm. and it's kind of hard to revisit. Phoebe, is there any part of the city that you don't like? Well, that just gives you, it's maybe too much bad energy or just... Um, no, because you have to accept those bad parts as a, as a, as a whole, as you accept the bad and negative parts of, your, of yourself. That's a wonderful answer, but what I mean is, yeah. is there a part that does give you that, uh, I don't uh, feel so good feeling? Oh, I don't. I don't want to. No, because you know, if it, it does, you know, I mean, I every place I've worked at mm -hmm. that I go back to, I've, I of course I relive that sense of stress and anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, and, uh, yeah, you can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> so I try to uh, disassociate those negative things from that place. That's that's I mean, a great I, I way went, to look at it. You yeah. know, I, I went uh, back to school at York University. I <clears> went to school at U of T. I worked at Harborfront. I worked at Whole Foods here. I worked two years. ESL schools. I've now worked at OCAD. I worked at New College. I was really, I, and I used to tutor a lot too. So I tutored all the way up in Richmond Hill and North York. Wow. So all those places for me, like, are maps of emotion. Um, and of course, you're going to encounter sometimes, like, oh great, I remember have to, having to catch this streetcar, <laughs> you know, um, in the early morning. How stressed I was coming after. I think King Street for sure, a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, just it's a. Um, it's an uncomfortable place, I think, because it's so corporate and, and people are in such a rush. But a, a few jobs there on King Street, I think, were, were particularly anxiety-ridden. <laughs> anxiety mm. And I even worked Carabana once, and that yeah. doesn't mean I hate Carabana, mm -hmm. but Carabana is a stressful place to work. <laughs> you got, yeah, so it's just like you're, you, you know, having all tickets, and there's like thousands of people coming at you. Oh. So you're just like, oh, right, I remember when I had to do that and, oh. and take tickets mm. from whole Jamaican families with like coolers, and you're like, you know, just it's got to go out. fast and yeah, all this kind yeah. of stuff. They're like, what's the hold up? <laughs> oh, gosh, being demanded. Okay. Yeah, I do, no, I do understand funny. that. Now, you mentioned that you worked at a number of, it sounds like you've worked at a number of um, uh, institutions, but um, I went to U of T. Does Robarts have a, a, a feeling for you? Yes, for sure. Yeah, like Do you I know think Robert's for, library? for, for okay. jewels in the library. I actually want to hear the answer to the question you didn't get, get to answer. Yes, do you remember like, it? Like, places in the sea that, you know, make you anxious. Yeah. <laughs> make me anxious. Um, I don't have any, I don't have any um, places in the city that make me anxious, but I do have a place, like, near Ryerson. Uh, I parked my car and it got broken into, and oh. then they stole, uh, they stole these pants that were my grandfather's pants oh. that, I, that I was going to wear, and I had oh. them hemmed to my size. And then they were just, they were stolen. Oh. So it's just like, man, I'll never know how I looked in those like pinstripe blue navy pants. Oh, that's tragic. So that was really, that was really bad. And it was just funny because it's like, you know, I'm driving with like, and when it happened, it was like, yeah, like you just, you're not going to get robbed at Ryerson, but 
I did. Mm. But that's okay. It was, I like Ryerson. Mm. I remember the question now was not necessarily about what place makes you anxious, no, yeah, but yeah, a, yeah, a place that get, that tugs at you. Yeah. It, it could be a good oh. tug. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I think my favorite spots are always the, the places, and you were so right about that, just about um, all the places where you have sort of these incredible things that happened in your life and you just associate um, like a really phenomenal moment. Like I actually had lunch the other day with this restaurant called Paris Paris. Mm. And not Paris Paris, um, Piano Piano. Yeah, 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 I know. And uh, I remember I was there, I was just having, I was just having lunch with, for, just for work. And um, I remember I had been there once before and that was a really interesting night. Like a, a very interesting kind of night that I've used in my plays, mm-hmm. you know? And it was just like, wow, like I haven't been back here in a long time. And then all of a sudden there's like all this sort of, um, everything I'm sort of remembering from this place is hitting me like a ton of bricks, and it's been like five years. Oh, Very interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, Phoebe mentioned the the time constraint and how it affected what she wrote. For you, you ended up writing this little piece. Do 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 you write things like that all the time? Yeah, I mean, oh my gosh! Like I actually was like uh, I didn't have anything written for it until um, I didn't have anything written for this until uh, Tuesday. And I wrote it in bed on my phone. And it was because it's a thing where it's like you just sit there and it's like, and I feel I feel like you probably feel this way too, where it's like it's just you're it's in it's in your body just writing itself. It's kind of just around, it's there, and all of a sudden it's like, ooh, okay, it's like 3 a.m. I gotta write this on my phone now. And then you write it in just one one take. And oh you go, God, this is do done. That. And then you email it to You yourself. can't do that? That's amazing though. <laughs> and it's it just it was like just boom, it was just boom, one take, done. And then you, I emailed it to myself, and it was like, okay, that's that's great. And then I, and then you go to bed, and then when you wake up, then you look at it, and it's like, man, there's something really interesting about writing something in your bed at night, and it's dark, and you don't even know what you're doing, and you're half asleep, and then you reread it and go, okay, well maybe you're onto something there. Then you can bring in, okay, I'm actually like a writer who has like training. Now I, now, now I can like now I can apply some of the training to this because man there are typos that doesn't make any sense it's brutal I, this is horrible I just just delete it you, you yeah. know what I love about this though is that the grace that you give yourself in that moment because I think for a lot of writers I, I don't know I'm not a writer but that there seems to be a lot of um, agony about getting to like starting to write and then making something and agonizing about like how crappy it is or whatever but it sounds like you obviously have learned your playwright. You have learned to give yourself that grace, just to be like, okay, it's you know, there's some mud around it, and I'm just gonna shine it up now. Well, what's the thing? There was a that's a great like story. When I was at the play, when I was player in residence at Young People's Theater, there was this really incredible moment I had with the dramaturg there, and he did this thing where I was writing this play with all these different characters in it, and he said, hey, I, so I did something. He did an Excel spreadsheet. He went through every scene of the play and he said, these are how many times the characters appear. And this character that I loved because it was the first monologue I wrote for the play. And I just kept that monologue in the play as I was writing it. And then as we went along, this character appears once in a play that's 90 pages and doesn't do anything. But then it was the first thing I wrote. And the only, for me, the only reason the play existed was because of that monologue. And he was like, how do you feel about writing, like, cutting Tommy? And I was like, okay, well, first off, <laughs> okay, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no. Excuse me, it's I love Tommy. Easy. And then literally, and then for like for the entire time my residency, that play was just continuing to evolve into this thing. And there's this Tommy monologue that I kept moving everywhere that made no sense. And then I was like, okay, you know what? 
I cut it. And then there was the play. What made you let it go? It made no sense. The more I kept going, <laughs> it just literally, it got, it got more like, and I was like, how about I just add a Tommy storyline? Like, this play is going to be 500 pages if you add a Tommy storyline. It's okay. You have the writing. Don't be so precious about it. It'll, it's going to be so perfect for the life of this particular piece of work. You weren't yeah. able to hide the monologue somewhere else. <laughs> Give it to a different character. It was just like it was I, totally just Tommy. I monologue. tried that too. Like just change the name from Tommy to Jim. <laughs> I don't think that didn't happen to Jim. Why that, Jay, that's not Jim's journey. Yeah, yeah. He's not a music yeah. video director. When did that happen? Okay, first off, I'm gonna figure it out. So that's a that's a really mm -hmm. good. Uh, it was it's about not, yeah not being so precious because in the end it's like there's a, it, when you're done it's like it's a whole thing. And sometimes playwrights can get really caught up in like a line that they wrote. That's like, this is the greatest line mm -hmm. ever written. But then it's like, actually cut it. It's mm -hmm. killing your scene. It's Poets weird. too. Yeah, yeah poets so that's too. it. Have you had a moment where you'd have to let go of something like that? Yes, <laughs> many. But I want to uh, also kind of talk about writing in bed, which I'm trying to stop <laughs> stop doing because it's very bad for you. It's, it, I believe it pollutes the bed um, in terms of bringing in <laughs> energy. But I think... What's like bad my, about writing energy that you don't like in your bed? You know, you want to keep your bed just for sleeping. But I have a theory mm. that when that kind of thing happens, when you are you write something kind of last minute, that you are actually writing it the entire time. Yeah, like it. you are thinking about it yeah. unconsciously. But for me, I, I used to be a, a perfectionist. Uh, I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> so for me, it's just about getting the thing done. And, um, and so during the day, sometimes I'll have a little bit of trouble of just kind of... Um, getting things started because I'm still too um, uh, too particular about phrases, but then when I'm kind of really, really tired, that resistance wears away, <laughs> and, mm. and sometimes I've been able to type out like some a few lines, definitely not a whole scene like that, <laughs> but enough like so that I can get the thing done, mm. and I edited a lot of my, my book that way as well as like able to kind of write some new things, but yeah, I had to let go of a lot of a lot of whole poems in my book that didn't make it yeah. that I was really attached to, but my editor thought, like, what is this poem doing, really? <laughs> uh, she also, uh, my editor, wasn't a big fan of any kind of, you know, she had her own preferences. So, um, but yeah, there's that common phrase in writing, you gotta kill your darlings, because the first thing that comes to you, the first line, you know, that you're really, that helped you write the piece, um, sometimes serves its purpose and you no longer need it and you're like, bye, I love you, line. <laughs> See you later. Well, that's Thank actually, you. That's actually a really sweet way to think about it, yeah. though, to actually say goodbye to the thing you're killing. Yeah, yeah, Mary Kondo, your, your poetry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you served me well. You served me well. You, you no longer spark joy. I'll see you later. I'm interested in, in you as this uh, recovering perfectionist. Did uh -huh. you put yourself through a 12-step program? Uh, no, I think it was... Um, I wish there was, you know, what would step one be? It would be like just, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. It know would never get made. Still step, but <laughs> I went to Banff. Maybe Banff is the recovery program oh. for for uh, perfectionists because the way our workshop worked was that if you wanted your peers to look at any new piece, you had to get it into their mailboxes by five. And I was only there for a week, and they were, we were kind of running out of time. You know, I think it was like day four or five, and I really wanted their, their feedback on a poem I've been working on for months. So I just, I just kind of finished it um, in two days, which was really unusual for me. And I thought, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but it's done, and they, they can give feedback. So I, I valuing prioritizing things being done over being perfect is like a huge step in that recovery process. It's probably stuff 
like five to ten. Like if you get, <laughs> yeah. you get over, like oh, it doesn't have to be perfect now. Just and then mm. later on again, like your your craft kicks in or your training kicks in, and you're like, I can I can do something with this. Yeah. Yeah, that was like that was that was also my exact experience in Banff. It was like when I was there, I mm. I, you know. I had just got out of school when I got mm. into the playwrights retreat there, and it was like I I tried so hard to be like, man, I should be here. So like I would literally sit by myself at lunch writing, like mm. <laughs> writing in like a notebook. It's like, what are you writing? It's like you're having like it's terrible yeah. lunchtime writing. So I'm just, I'm, I had to be so great. But then the whole premise was actually like there, there was one time where one of the women who was running Banff was like, hey Jay, do you wanna? Do you want to have lunch with us? Because I was like, for the first two days, I was always alone, just writing, oh, trying to be this no. like, trying to be this like um, genius writer. <laughs> and then I remember I, I go and I sit, I have lunch with these incredible writers, and I, I'm talking to this one gentleman. Oh, hello, sir. How are you? He's like, oh, hello. Uh, how long have you been here? I'm like, oh, I've been here a couple. Of, how, how, who are you? I'm Alistair McLeod. <gasps> and I'm like, oh my God, oh, <laughs> Mr. McLeod, uh, do you like the chicken bacon? Oh, we're delicious. And then I go, oh my God. So the whole premise was actually. Spending time with these incredible creative people actually made it easier for me to write creative, good stuff. Because when I was just alone, I was just like ruining my life, kind mm -hmm. of that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I'm, on my phone, I have like a bunch of notes in my notepad, mm -hmm. and I and I and I and there are times when I'll be like somewhere, and I'll like have like a a killer line mm -hmm. said by no one. <laughs> like there's not even <laughs> there's no human attached to the line. It's just this line talking about the, the one line I had was like um. Oh man, um, if your heart—if you had a heart of gold, you would have sold it by now. You know what I mean? I had that line. I was like, "Oh man, that. Oh, okay. Apparently, it's in the '30s, and apparently, I'm writing a hard-boiled crime thriller. <laughs> apparently, and I have this line there, and I have these unlimited lines that I don't use ever. And then occasionally, I'll go—I'll be writing a scene in a play, and then I'll, I'll go, "What?" And then I'll go to my phone and search, and I'll be like, "Oh, that line from 2017—that's pretty good." So I'll slot it in. But I, I love I love that. You also gave have an had an opportunity right now to give us that line, so which that one? line lives yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, that, which one? Yeah. You just gave it to us. Oh, I did. I get. I'm glad I revealed it. I'm glad I revealed it. You use it for like running workshops for. for it. <laughs> That's it. Um, but that really touches on. I think my answer was that the fact that I've written something in a draft it means it's already saved. So I might not have an extra file or another notebook, but like I, I use lots of notebooks and I print out drafts as I write them. So if something gets cut, uh, it is still there in the draft form. And so what will happen sometimes is I'll, I'll kind of, what should happen if I had lots of time in it, you would be, I would reread some of these old drafts and sometimes there's mm -hmm. another new poem. So maybe there's like for, 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 um, for Jason, there could be another new play. Mm -hmm. So you can take some of those old lines and and it's going to be something else completely because I found whole poems and stanzas like that 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 could be something else. So mm -hmm. it's never and you know I I uh, I think too that um, memory is a really interesting thing. Consciousness is a very interesting thing and, and subconscious too because we don't always write with our with our conscious mind uh, things that we think we've forgotten lines that you thought you you uh, you didn't save kind of have a way of re resurfacing. Um, in an eerie and uh, yeah. ghostly way, so we have to trust that process as well. If there's a line that wants to make it in, it's going to do it, you know. Um, um, and it's not necessarily the exact word, but it could be just that emotion, yeah, that, that feeling of why was it being expressed in that line that you wanted to keep that could be expressed um, in a different way. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take this opportunity then to say 
Thank you to you, Phoebe Thank Wang, you. and Thank Jason Lamney. Thank you. Okay.